Have you lost weight before? And when you lost it, did you lose it quickly or slowly? Is it better to lose weight slowly or is it more motivating to go hard and get it off quickly? On today's episode of The Nutrition Couch, we discuss the pros and cons of quick versus slow weight loss and share what the latest research in this area shows. Hi, I'm Susie Burrell. And each week we bring you The Nutrition Couch, the bi-weekly podcast that keeps you up to date on everything you need to know in the world of nutrition. As well as quick versus fast weight loss, today we thought it was time we talked about keto foods and in particular, a brand new peanut butter that's doing the round and it's under the headline of keto. And our listener question is all about chocolate and what do we think is the best variety from a taste perspective, but also nutritionally. But to kick us off, Leanne, I just came across this very interesting article, uh, which came from The Conversation, which does some really great pieces on scientific evidence and, and weight control this morning. And I thought, yeah, that's really interesting, isn't it? Because in the good old days, you know, in like 10, 20 years, we would speak about it's important to lose weight slow and sustainably. And, you know, if you lose it too quickly, it will all come back on. And then, of course, we'll see weight loss interventions where people will report losing three, five, eight kilos in a week. You know, what is a reference point for our listeners and what does the evidence show when it comes to fast versus slow? So to kick us off, I think let's get a definition of what is fast versus slow. So I would say in my clinical experience, if someone is less than 100 kilos And if you're able to get a solid half up to a kilo a week off, that's pretty solid results. I wouldn't say it's slow. I'd say it's average. Mm, I think when we're getting to two, three kilos a week, it's usually either people have got a lot more weight to lose or it's in that very initial phase of weight loss where people are losing sort of glycogen from their muscle stores and it's water weight as opposed to true fat loss. So you know, sometimes in in the weight loss process, you'll have people who lose nothing, nothing, and then drop two. And that's that cycle of people churning up fat and mobilizing it to burn. But, you know, anything over half a kilo a week is pretty solid, particularly if you're under 100 kilos. What would you um, say is your sort of reference point in that space? Yeah, I'd say most of my clients are dropping half to a kilo a week, but it's not just based on like weekly, like, you know, lots of people who do keto because you lose a lot of that water weight and the carb source to start with, you're dropping two, three, five kilos in a week. But most of that time, that, you know, four or five kilos is the first two weeks. And then it's like nothing after that. So I always say to my clients, we average the weight loss over time. So if they've lost two kilos in the first week, which the first week or two of a new program tends to be a little bit more because what happens is people go a little bit hard across the weekend. Then they go, right, I'm starting a, a you know a new program. I'm super motivated. I'm going to eat my pantry clean, go out, have my last drinks and then start the new program. So typically that first weight is a little bit higher. So most people will drop a little bit more in the first week or two. Typically, you know, that one to two kilos, if you're doing a more restrictive diet, you're cutting carbs, you're doing some sort of fast or cleanse or really low calorie, you're probably looking at three to five kilos depending on your initial weight. But to me, it's really what's happening around weeks three, four, five, six, seven, eight plus. So if my clients are down, say two kilos in the first week, half a kilo the next week, 300 grams the next week and half a kilo the next week. And say, for example, it's, I don't know, four kilos over four weeks. I'm really happy with that. And I like an average, but if it's two kilos in the first week and then nothing and then nothing and then nothing, and it's two kilos over five weeks, I'd sort of say, okay, that's great, but we need to look at the trend over time. And I think that's what a lot of people don't do. They don't look at the trend over time. They just go, well, I lost three kilos in the first week. I want to lose another three the next week. And it's just not realistic. The body doesn't work like that. 
So you've got to understand that the bigger drops happen in the first one to two weeks and that it'll sort of stabilize off a little bit, but you should still get consistent drops every two weeks at least. And if you're not, you need to change up your program or you need to kind of reassess your your requirements and if you're doing it right. And sometimes you'll notice a change in waist measurement as opposed to weight loss. And what I would say is that if you think of the body as a machine, and if you've had weight that's been there for 5, 10, 20 years, it's basically been there a really long time and the body has to mobilize it to burn. And hence, at times you might have changes in body composition where you're losing size, but you haven't yet seen the shift on the weight as the muscle mass and fat mass weights adjust based on water and fluid content. It also just, it will also, um, to a certain extent, help you understand why after you've had a salty meal, the weight might be up one or two kilos. It's purely fluid. So it really is a factory, the body, and it's about change in size and also change in weight. And that's when it comes down to looking at things like muscle mass, which weighs more than fat mass. But let's have a little look at the the research around it because it's actually really interesting because a couple of years ago, there was a few papers that showed that if people lost weight relatively quickly, so more earlier, they were more likely to keep it off. But certainly in more recent studies um, and summary studies, it basically means that most people regain. So we should spend a lot more time on preventing weight regain rather than worrying about whether it's quick or fast. So one study, for example, of 100 postmenopausal women So found that the quicker weight losses, so sort of over a kilo a week, were better initial outcomes than the group who were encouraged to lose slow and steady at half to one kilo a week. But over the period of time following up in those studies, they both regained the exact same amount. So it's actually more probably your preference. But I think for me, Leanne, it's more if you're less than 100 kilos, it's going to be really difficult to continue over a kilo a week. Mm. I know you feel like it's a lot, but to push it over a kilo a week, it's just probably unlikely. I'd be going with, I sort of frame it two to three kilos a month for clients as opposed to per week because of that time it takes and the adjustments in fluid levels over the course of a week. But basically the the studies show that both usually regain their weight. It doesn't matter whether it's fast or slow. So my take-home message from this discussion is it's about consistency as we described and allocating enough time. If you've got to lose 20 kilos, you need six months. If you've got to lose 30 or more, you need a year. But a lot more time has to be spent in preventing weight regain because I'll have clients who will end a program and are reluctant to commit to a maintenance program and then inevitably the next year they'll regain at least some. So you want to be spending just as much time on preventing weight regain as the attention you give to getting it off at the time of weight loss. If not more because it's actually quite easy to lose weight. Like I rarely talk to a client who goes, I can't lose weight. Like most people can lose weight. It's actually keeping it off and maintaining it. That's the difficult part, right? So I would say even more time should be spent looking at your behaviors long-term and looking to maintain it than actually trying to sort of get it off. Because I think a lot of people can easily drop two, three, five kilos, but it's then maintaining that. And even if you do it in a bit of a push where if the goal is 15, just lose five and then learn to maintain that for six months and then push for another five. Because I think the more you lose, the more the body adapts and the quicker you can tend to rebound back. But I think that study was really interesting because they followed these people for nearly three years. And I think it was something like 81% had re-put on the weight across that three years. And it didn't matter if, oh sorry, it's 76%. It didn't matter if they had lost it fast or slow, like you said. So I really like the conclusion of this article, Susie, that says the bottom line is that it doesn't really matter how quick or slow you lose it. It matters whether or not you can keep it off because the body imposes a lot of you know physiological changes in terms of our hunger, in terms of our muscle mass, in terms of our metabolism. So this article is really saying when you look at the bulk of the research, 
successful long-term weight loss comes down to three things. The first one is following an evidence-based program based on what we know about the science of obesity, our bodies and our metabolism. Most people selling weight loss programs are not evidence-based programs and they're not based on science and they're not based with actual professionals either. The second one was losing weight under a supervised and qualified healthcare professional such as a dietitian who specializes in fat loss. And I think it's a really important point. A lot of dietitians don't specialize in fat loss. Susie, you and I do. We've been doing it for many, many years. We've seen thousands of clients, but your run-of-the-mill dietitian who just works out of a general GP clinic specializes in healthy eating. They don't actually specialize in fat loss and they're two very different things. So I think finding a practitioner who is qualified and specialized in fat loss is really important. And the third most important point was making gradual changes to your lifestyle over time, not just your nutrition. So thinking about your diet, your habits, your exercise, your sleep. So actually looking at joining a program that is very holistic in that way and looks at the entire body, not just what you put in your mouth. Because we know that Susie, you and I both work with the behaviors and the psychology behind eating. We know that our behaviors matter. We know our emotions matter. We know our hormones matter. We know our sleep, our stress, our cortisol, all of those things are going to impact your journey long-term as well. So I thought it was a great article. I thought it was very, very interesting. And I thought the three big takeaway messages um, were really key because I think a lot of people get so hung up on what you know, diet they're going to do or how much they're going to lose, but they don't really ever consider how they're going to keep it off long-term. Yeah, 100%. So that's a, a good take-home message for anyone who's listening who has lost 10, 20 kilos and work really hard at it. It's not a matter of I'm done. You're best to at least start a maintenance program where you're touching base with your dietitian or health practitioner each month. That's what I encourage my clients to do it and gradually wean off like anything. But our environment is so conducive to weight regain and it's so much easier to eat than it is to, to keep in a deficit or to maintain exercise levels in this current intense life we have. So committing just as much to a maintenance program is, is equally as important as the initial weight loss phase. 100%. Now, moving on to our product of the week, Susie, we thought we'd have a little chat about keto because the amount of keto products out there is just ridiculous. And a lot of them are just marketed at us in just the most ridiculous way. And it's a brand that we saw today that we know and we love. It's Mavis. And both of us, like you sent this to me and I was like, I'm so annoyed that they're promoting this as a (laughs) keto product. So it's a low carb protein keto seven nut and seed spread. It's 220 grams. So the jar is really small. It's like half the size of an average jar of peanut butter, in my opinion. And it retails for $8.50 at Woolworths. So I'm just like, that's more than double that I would feel happy paying for peanut butter. Peanut butter is typically low carb anyway. Like, I mean, especially if you're getting a natural type of peanut butter, right? If you're getting the standard craft stuffs that got the extra salt, the extra sugar, perhaps not, like because there is added sugars in there, but I'm not buying peanut butter for keto. Like that's the last thing I'd look for when I look for peanut butter is like a low carb peanut butter. And I just think despite the price, it's just ridiculous. And this marketing is just gone absolutely over the top, I just think. And it's like one net gram of carbs in this little jar. And I just think a peanut butter is a peanut butter. Just let it be. To me, it's just over the top. It's ridiculous. I'm annoyed that they're even marketing this keto anyway, Mm. because it just confuses the crap out of people. And it's incredibly expensive for what it is. What are your thoughts on it? Oh, I can't believe this is happening. So I consulted to Mavis for several years. And on the whole, we're a big fan of a fantastic Australian company and and their best nut spreads. When you look at the ingredient list, are just pure seeds and nuts very little added, no added sugar. They're a great product nutritionally. So when I saw this come out, I was like, really? It just is hopping on such a bandwagon because we saw a lot of keto type wraps. And the issue I have with that is that a a food isn't keto in isolation. A dietary pattern is keto. So if you just eat one keto food, it doesn't offer any real benefit. 
And so in the case of keto wraps, now I don't generally want a low carb wrap. I want a whole grain wrap that's got dietary fiber. So they're heavily processed and I just don't see a, a huge space in the market for them because unless you're someone on a very strict keto diet, when let's be honest, you're probably not eating wraps anyway. So I was never a fan of them in the wraps and it's not by chance that that um, that brand has has gone over and, and is doing work in a similar area to Mavis and suddenly we saw keto peanut butter, which I think the issue for me is so misleading because peanut butter is already high fat, low carb. It's not a special formulation to make it keto. It's just jumping on a, a bandwagon of diets. And I think what we know is that keto diets are so difficult to follow. Most people don't do them. They're just doing low carb. And most clients we see don't need keto or low carb. They need a reduced carb balanced eating plan. So I think it's so misleading and I'm so disappointed to see it. And basically we wanted to just talk about don't be sucked in by foods labeled keto. They're not better. In many cases like the wraps, they're actually worse because they're heavily processed. And in a food like a wrap, we actually want the whole grain carbs. And the keto peanut butter, normal peanut butter, you would argue is technically keto. It's low carb and high fat, but you won't remain in keto if your calories are too high anyway. So please, you know, if it sounds too good to be true, it always is. And keto is just really jumping on a diet bandwagon, which is certainly not what Mavers as a brand had previously done. It was about being wholesome. It was about being unprocessed. It was about being an Australian food, not being marketed as a diet product. You know, it's it's really disappointing. And certainly I don't want my clients paying $8.50 for a keto peanut butter because, you know, normal peanut butter is keto technically. And the key with peanut butter is to go with an Australian brand that's 100% nuts and use it sparingly. It's really high calorie. It's good for you. But a tablespoon or two is too much. It's a teaspoon or two is a serve. So like hummus, if you're going heavy on the peanut butter, it's time to rein it in. Fair point. And then the last article that we wanted to chat through this week, Susie, was a very entertaining one for us. And it's all about chocolate. So we saw in the news, there was this big article and it was like, the world's best chocolate has hit Australia. And I sent you that and I was like, that's a big claim. So Nine News published something that said that Tony's chocolate Chocoloni bars are now available in Woolworths and Coles. They've been dubbed the world's best chocolate on social media. And apparently there's a mad, insane rush. So I went to go find them. I couldn't find them. Maybe they're sold out already. So these Tony's Chocoloni bars come from the Netherlands. And I mean, it's a big claim. So they're about $8, I think. They retail for the block of chocolate. So they're not inexpensive. Um, But people are just going nuts on TikTok and saying, oh my goodness, these are the best. And I will say that I certainly ask my clients what their soul foods are. So we incorporate them into their nutrition plans each week because I want it to be, you know, enjoyable and sustainable. And in the last couple of months, I've seen a lot more of this brand of chocolate. Typically, I see Lindt, I see Cadbury, I see, you know, cherry ripes and Twix or whatever coming up, like standard Australian based chocolate. But I've seen a few more clients, both Australian and international, posting this brand. So I'm keen to give it a whirl. I must say I haven't tried it yet, but I'm very intrigued. Have you tried it, Susie? I have. It's very creamy, you know, Mm. and I think it's really personal with taste profiles and chocolate because I've got clients who can't get enough of their 90% lint. Mm. And then I've got clients who'll only have, you know, um, what's that one, the white chocolate uh, caramel, which actually technically isn't chocolate because it's not got a cocoa base. I think it's white chocolate. So I think it's really personal. I notice it's creamy. It reminds me a little bit like lint. It's delicious like all chocolate. I think we get programmed for certain taste profiles. You know, if you have Cadbury chocolate from the UK, it's different to Cadbury chocolate in the States, which is different to Cadbury chocolate here. It really depends on the programming. What I will say is that the sweeter the chocolate, the more likely you are to want more of it. So when you have a creamy milk-based chocolate, whether it's Cadbury or lint or this one, 
it's easier to overeat it because of the sweetness. Whereas when you're going for a more bitter chocolate with a higher cocoa proportion, it's not going to give you that intense sweetness that drives cravings. So it's probably easier to regulate portions. The other issue with this chocolate is it's huge blocks. So once you open a block, in my experience, most people have difficulty stopping eating it. So I don't love the portion control, but I think it's in in the terms of chocolate, it's a soul food as you describe. Have the one you like in control portions, but if you know that you're going to buy a block and you're going to eat it, probably not the best choice. So what your level of self-regulation is for me would drive, which is your brand choice of chocolate. So let us know on Instagram if you have tried this one, because we'd be keen to hear your thoughts. And I mean, it's a big statement, Susie, world's best chocolate. Is it? Or do you know a better one? Let us know on Instagram. (laughs) And there's nothing wrong, but a serve of chocolate is like 20 grams. So it's like four little squares or one Freddo. You know, so just, you know, it's always about the portions um, and looking for ways to get more pleasure. Like I'm a big fan of a single lint ball because I think it's a it's an enjoyable amount of chocolate. It makes you feel like you've had a good serve and it's easier to control the portion as opposed to blocks, which I'm always cautious of. All right, Leanne, well, that brings us to the end of the Nutrition Couch for another Sunday. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe and keep telling your friends about us. We have our Perry, newly released Perry plan guide on our website, and we're just about to put the finishing touches on our brand new snack guide. So we know you're a big fan of the supermarket guide that we had. We went through all supermarket products, and we're very busy putting together a booklet, which is all just about snacks. So you're going to love that one too. And we will see you on Wednesday for our midweek motivational episode. Have a great week. Catch you guys next week.